Welcome to the New Providence Presbyterian Church podcast, where we will share our messages from our weekend worship services. We hope these messages will inspire you and challenge you in your walk with Jesus. So indeed, in the weeks, that woke you up. Indeed, in the weeks leading up to this, we've talked about God's help with families, God's help with marriages, God's help with parenting. And so today, we are talking about God's help with understanding sex. Now, if you weren't awake yet, you're awake now. Because today we're talking about sex. And uh, we are going right to this topic. And I don't know about you, but as I think about my life, I want to give you a question to, to reflect on your life a bit. And I ask you the question, what was your initial conversation or exposure to sex and sexuality? As you think about the course of your life, what was your initial, when's the first time you heard about or talked about sex? Did you have the talk with a parent or parents or a caregiver? Uh, For me, it wasn't so much the talk. I have a memory of my dad giving me a book. The book was called, What's Happening to My Body? We didn't talk about the book. In fact, I never read the book. It was just really awkward. Uh, But what I learned from that day, and it wasn't, I don't think it was by intention. There's a lot of a grace for my parents as now I'm a parent. Um, but by, whether, not by intention, but what happened was I learned through that action that sex wasn't something to be talked about, wasn't something to be engaged directly. And I was given the message, figure it out on your own. Figure it out on your own. And so as a, I think it was late middle school or early high school, I had to figure it out on my own. And how do you think that went in conversations with middle school boys and high school guys? Didn't go too well. Um, I remember some awkward family life uh, classes that we had. I don't remember anything about them. Uh, But I just remember feeling like I had to figure things out completely on my own. By the grace of God, um, I I thought my phone was in my pocket. It's down there. I didn't have a smartphone or Google or access to all the different things that everyone has access to today. Um, So it was just through conversations and through other things that I tried to figure things out. So how about you? How did you first learn about physical changes in your body and sex and sexuality? Now, the the story doesn't end there. There's some good news. That something happened in this building, in this building, in a high school small group. Yes, called salt groups even back then. There was a trusted set of guys and a leader that we could talk about sex and sexuality. And in the midst of those conversations, I remember the leader sharing something like this. He said, if you want to understand something that, if you want to understand how something works, then talk to the person who made it. If you want to understand how something works, talk to the person who made it. Because what he was talking about as we were talking about sex was talk to God who created sex. Engage his word and what he says about sex. And so that's what we did. That was a life-giving piece for me in terms of my faith and my life and my understanding of sex and sexuality. As I think about life, think about if you want to learn something about something, you can go to someone who has expertise or experience with something. You might go to a mechanic to learn about cars. You might go to a doctor who knows a lot about the human body. But it's when something, someone actually creates something and makes something that they truly know the intention and purpose of what they made. 
And so for us as followers of Christ, we're not left without help. We have a lot more than the book, What's Happening to My Body, to figure out sex and sexuality. And for us as followers of Jesus, he invites us and calls us to come to him and to come to his word to discover and rediscover the meaning and significance and indeed the intention and purpose of everything, including sex. So perhaps there's nothing more complex than sex because it impacts every aspect of our life. Yes, no doubt physical, but it impacts relationships, our emotions, and even our spiritual walks, no doubt. So today we're going to begin the conversation. This wasn't my first sermon last summer. This wasn't part of the Let's Dance series. That would have been awkward. <laughs> it really would have been awkward. But my goal today is to begin the conversation and to begin by sharing a, from a key passage in Scripture that speaks to the God's design and intention for sex. It's a passage that's quoted by Jesus. It's a passage that's referred to multiple times by the Apostle Paul in his letters in the New Testament. And I'm working with the assumption that if you want to understand, if you want to understand something, then start by going to the person who made it. We can then move towards implications of what this means. And we're not going to be able, obviously, in the next 20 minutes or so, to be able to engage all the implications of this. Again, this is the beginning of a conversation. And I'll share about some next steps for us as a congregation to continue in conversation and dialogue around this, both in terms of groups and seminars. But today we're going to begin that conversation. So are you ready? All right, let's go. Here we are. Today we're going to look at an account in the first book of the Bible. Yes, the book of Genesis. And this account is, is part of the creation account. This account takes place before sin entered the world and what theologians have termed the fall. For me, as I've reflected on Scripture and look at the third chapter of Genesis, it's less so of the fall for me and more of a turning or a turning away. It's a turning or turning away from God that we see in Genesis 3. I've ranged towards this description because I think it speaks to the sadness of humanity turning away from their loving creator and turning away from him in terms of his direction and his descriptions of, of life and how it should be. Um, so we're going to look at this account where, yes, God created everything and called it good, and in fact, he called it very good, but in the middle of this account, he sees a human being alone. And when he sees this human being alone, he realizes it's not good. And so as you look at this passage, I invite you to listen to this passage with fresh fresh ears, and actually I invite you to close your eyes. I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. If you've been around the church, you've heard this passage a ton of times. If you haven't, um, this is part of the creation account in terms of God's work. I invite you to close your eyes and listen to this, starting in verse 18. We read this. The Lord God said, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. 
Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is God's word to me. You can open your eyes. So here, God sees creation. He sees this man. He sees that he's alone. And despite that everything is good or very good, we see he notes right away that it is not good that this man's alone. I hear an empathetic voice from God saying, this is, this is not good. This is not good. We're talking about God who exists in eternal relationship three in one. God is in the presence of angels in the heavenly court. He's not alone. He sees this man who's all alone. And he says it's not good. And he says we need to create a helper which is suitable for him. Now the word helper, when you hear the word helper, lots of times you think of someone who's weak or inferior, someone who's uh, maybe someone on the side. But that's not the case with the word for helper here in this chapter of Genesis. In fact, in the Old Testament, 16 out of 19 times, this word and those words that are derived from it refer to God himself. And so if you're looking for a passage to say that men are superior to women, you're not going to find it here. Right? A suitable helper is one who's fit, who can stand face-to-face with someone, come alongside of them, and be a strong helper together as a team. Here we see that God says there's no suitable helper for this person. He's all alone. And so in the next couple of verses, we see that God brings animals to this man, and, and this man names them. It's, and, and this man who's created in the image of God, and he exercises the authority of God, and it's a significant act that he names these animals. But as he goes through it, he realizes there's no suitable helper. A dog may be God's man's best friend. I mean, a dog, what, God? No, a dog may be man's best friend. Sometimes my dog thinks he's God. But a dog may be man's best friend, but not a suitable helper for this man. And Bible commentators and scholars also believe that that God wanted to give this man the experience of looking at all these animals and realizing this is not the suitable helper. In fact, through this passage, we also see the distinction between human beings and animals, that they're not the same. And so through this, we see that there's no suitable helper for this person. Go on to the next verses. We see that God then takes action. And out of the side of this man, he forms a woman. Out of the same raw material, he forms this woman. And it's important to note that it's from that same material, the same bones, the same flesh. He creates this woman, and then he brings this woman to the man. For years, I thought this was the first blind date recorded in, in Scripture. <laughs> it's like, surprise! No. And sure, it may seem like a surprise date, I mean, uh, um, a blind date, but so much more than that. In fact, it's actually the picture of the first wedding. And here's a picture of the Lord God bringing the woman to this man, like a father walking his daughter down the aisle and giving this daughter away to a man. And here, this man responds in exuberance, much like a groom on a wedding day who's the door is open, and then the bride starts walking down the aisle. And, and if I've led many weddings, and when you see the groom's eyes just light up, there's the beauty of his bride. That's what we see a picture here of Adam as he responds. And he responds with poetry and creative expression. It's like the first love song 
maybe not the best lyrics, but the, the first love song, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. It's not going to make, no, a top 40 song, top 40 even exists anymore. I guess the top of the Spotify list, hot me out, Audrey, what's going on these days? So like, but that's how he responds. So through all this, then we come to verse 24. And there's three important words that start this verse. That is why. I bet you say those words with me. That is why. Right here we see the reason and the explanation. If we're looking for understanding, there's an explanation given here. It's like saying, oh, oh, that's why. That's why. And we see three actions in this powerful verse. This verse, which is quoted by Jesus himself in the Gospels and quoted by the Apostle Paul multiple times in the New Testament. Three actions. First, a man leaves his father and mother. There's a separation, a physical separation, leaving a home or house, but even more so, a relational and emotional separation. And in Near Eastern culture, this was a big, big deal because the relationship between a parent and a child was primary. And so for a child to leave a father and mother overcame even cultural assumptions that should have happened. That this was a big separation, a big move. A physical move, yes, but a relational and emotional move. And it was the beginning of the movement towards a new family unit. That's the first action. Second action is he unites himself with his wife. This word unite, which is also translated cleave, and we see that word used throughout the Old Testament. To cleave speaks to a covenant and faithfulness within that covenant. There's a sense of connection, a covenant, a loving binding agreement between two individuals or two parties. And that loving binding agreement is marked by faithfulness, faithfulness to a shared sense of call, faithfulness to a person, a faithfulness to stay together no matter what. Here is this picture, again, this Ideal picture, yes, before the fall, before the turning and turning away from God, saying a man will leave his father and mother and unite or cleave to his wife. And then what? They will become one flesh. Become one flesh. And this describes the personal union between a husband and a wife at all levels, not just physical, emotional, relational, and yes, spiritual. And in this, it's expressed in and deepened through the sexual relationship. It's expressed in that capacity, and it's deepened in that capacity. And it's not just one-time things. It's more and more that there's a greater sense of unity, a greater sense of oneness, a greater sense of shared life and unity. Meaning that sexual intercourse is meant to express and deepen this one flesh union. And from this, we see the primary purpose and intention of sex as laid out by God in Scripture. Yes, the further purpose is absolutely the procreative purpose, right? The, going back to chapter 1 in Genesis, to be fruitful and increase in number. Obviously, having children is a part of it. But here, in the beginning, we see that there's this one flesh reunion, this deepening and expression of connectedness. Going on to verse 25, before we think about implications, verse 25, we see Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This is why, I mean, the Bible has to be legitimate and real. This is... This is included in scripture. What a great picture. It's a picture of freedom. It's a picture of playfulness. I mean, I know this is really maybe inappropriate, but just the thought of, I mean, just why people running around naked, it's just like, it's a crazy image, right? I mean, let's talk real in church here. It's just crazy to think about. They felt no shame. 
We can't even fathom, that's why we laugh, right? Laughter and pain and awkwardness are all kind of related. Comedians are really good at that. I'm not trying to be a comedian, but it's just true. It's awkward because there's shame now in being naked. You're all wearing clothes, I'm glad you are. And you're really glad I am too. So the fact that like, there, but here, in this time, there was no shame. It's an amazing picture of freedom. There was nothing for them to overcome or to compensate for. They could simply be together. It's a beautiful picture. And again, this is before, before the turning and turning away from God. And that turning and turning away resulted in our broken down, pain-filled world that we're in today. So what are the implications of this understanding? As we look at Genesis 2 and we think about our lives today, well, there are many, and we definitely cannot cover them all. And that's what I'm saying. This is the beginning of a conversation. Just dialogue with me, dialogue in groups, opportunities and seminars as a church will be ongoing as we seek to engage this topic on an ongoing basis. But remember where we started. I believe if we want to understand how something is made, we need to go to the one who made it. Start there. And so in light of that, I have some initial implications for us to consider as a church family. Number one, that this understanding out of Genesis 2 provides a vision for God's creation of sex and its purpose. Let me say it again. This understanding provides a vision for God's creation of sex and its purpose. Meaning, as we see in this passage, that sex is a gift. It's not dirty. It's not bad. It's a gift. I know the messages I got growing up in church are points where it's like, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. But then when you're married, it's good, it's good, it's good, right? It's like, wait, if you go back to the intention in creation, it's a gift from God. Meant to allow a couple to express and deepen that unity that's described in verse 24 in Genesis 2. Remember God's words when he said, it's not good for the man to be alone. And the woman was made out of the side of the man, that same material, so then it comes back together. That's number one. Number two, sex, sex without a committed marital relationship falls short of how God created sex. Let me say that again. Sex without a committed marital relationship falls short of the meaning of how God created sex. So we see in Genesis 2 that Right? Sexual intercourse is meant to be so much more than just a physical act that's pleasurable. And yes, it's pleasurable, but it's not meant just to be that. And it's not just meant to be like animals together. This is meant to be, help us to deepen and express that kind of relationship. God's intention and purpose for sex is for a husband and wife to express and deepen that unity. And it gives us the freedom to truly give away our love in the way that God intended it. Now, God gives us the freedom. We can give our love away however we want. But God has given us this picture saying, this is the way that I have intended it to be given away. And this is given away in all other types of ways. Then, then there's challenges. That brings to the third implication. And the longer I'm alive, I see this to be true, though it pains my heart that so much of the pain, confusion, and struggle in our world, finds its sources and actions outside of God's created purpose for sex. Let me say that again. So much of the pain, confusion, and struggle in our world finds its source and actions outside of God's intention for sex. I continue to see this. Um, the farther we go away from God's intention and purpose for anything, 
the greater the pain. And we could try and hide the pain. We could try and make up for the pain. We could try and address the pain in all different kinds of ways. But the pain is there. And just by turning away from it or trying to compensate for it or trying to make it, make it better by other methods doesn't ultimately make the pain go away. It just buries the pain. And that pain finds its way out in all other kinds of ways. As I see this, I know this comes from countless conversations with many, many, many people over the years of the pain that they're in. So here for me, this is, comes from a, a posture of compassion, not judgment, right? It pains me to see the pain that so many are in. So stepping back as you hear this, hear this and these implications, you might be thinking, yeah, but this. Or, but what about fill in the blank? And we don't have time to cover all those examples. Raise your hand. We're, no, we're not, we don't have time for that today. But I do welcome the dialogue with you personally and eventually in groups and also in different seminars we'll have as a church. But as I consider the question, before we move too quickly on, I want to consider an example of something that came to Jesus. A group of religious leaders came to Jesus, and they had some questions about relationship, relationships and marriage. And in that time, we think it's controversial today. It was just as controversial back then, just in a different capacity. And these religious leaders were trying to trip up Jesus based on the different cultural assumptions of that time. And so they brought a question to Jesus. And the question is, what did he do? How did he respond? I think we could learn from him how he responded. And that could give us insights on how we can respond in the 21st century. In Matthew 19, verses 4 and 5, in response to a question that came to them about relationships and marriage, Jesus says this. He said, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Sound familiar? Jesus, in his response, he used a rabbinical method of that time, a method used by rabbis when controversial questions came like this. And the, the method of rabbis at that time was to look and see that and assume that the older was weightier than the newer, that what was given by God had more weight than anything that came that was new. And so to interpret new ideas, new cultural trends, it was, it was to go with what was older was weightier than what was newer. Typically, it was reversed. And Jesus said, no, go back to what's older because that's weightier. It was a method used by rabbis. If it was used by Jesus, it's probably a pretty good method. And so what did he do? He went back to the beginning. He went around all the different ideas that were out in that time based on hundreds and hundreds of years, even in terms of Moses himself, and said, look, let's keep it simple. Let's go back to the beginning. And in the beginning, the creator made them male and female. He quotes Genesis 1.27. And then he quotes Genesis 2.24, which I just walked through minutes ago. And what Jesus did was, he, I think he said, we need to get around all the layers of cultural interpretation. If you want to understand, go back to the beginning. Go back to the creator and see what he has to say. See what God said. Now remember, it was the adversary of God, the adversary of Jesus ultimately is the one who said, who asked, did God really say? Did God really say? That's what the serpent said in Genesis 3. Jesus always is pointing us back to, to what did God say? What did God say? 
Because when confusion is introduced and relational and pain and chaos comes, it's typically when God's enemy says, did God really say this? Did he really say that? And introduces all kinds of confusion and chaos into life. So to think about questions like this, I see how Jesus pointed his listeners to Scripture, right? He says, haven't you read? Haven't you read? That was Jesus' approach. But he didn't do it in a combative way. He engaged people with grace and truth. Grace and truth. And he simply pointed his listeners to God, his word, and in this case, to the beginning, in terms of God's intention and purpose. God invites us to do the same as we engage questions about the meaning and significance of sex today. Do you want and need God's help with understanding sex? Go to the one who made sex in the first place. Go to him. Start with him. Go with his word. Consider his intention and purpose and consider your life. Now, my pastoral counsel to you is to start with yourself. Start with yourself. Because all of us are broken. Right? We said that picture in Genesis 2 is before the turning and turning away from God. All of us have turned and turned away from God in some way. And none of us are innocent in terms of our actions, attitudes, now it's going to get uncomfortable, thoughts in terms of this. So we all stand before God in need of grace. None of us stands above anyone else to say, look, at, look I'm perfect, you're not, get in line. Start with yourself and spend a long time there. Spend a long time there before moving on to everyone else. Now, it doesn't mean we do not engage the myriad of questions that are in front of us, but if we don't start with ourselves, it doesn't mean anything to anyone out there, especially anyone who doesn't care about God or even think the Bible has anything to say at all today. If we're not dealing with ourselves, people will sniff that out pretty quickly and realize, who are you who died and made you God? Look at yourself. So start with yourself and ask the question, to what extent are we living into the intention and purpose of sex as created by God? Start with yourself. And after you start with yourself, um, know again that we live in this world that's full of confusion and pain. So let me give you some initial words of counsel as we think about others. Um, I've already talked about starting with yourself. Next, be careful not to use the Bible as a weapon. Now, it's the sword of the Spirit we read in Ephesians 6, but it's more like in the hands of a perfect surgeon who does surgery to take care for the greater healing. It's not meant to be a baseball bat or a battering ram against people. So be careful that God's word is not used as a weapon. There's already enough pain in the world. Our role as Christians is not to increase the pain and to make it worse. We've done a pretty good job of that for many centuries, and we need to repent of that. I need to repent of that. So don't use the Bible as a weapon. And I would say next, engage people. Seek to engage people with a sense of humility. Real people. Real people who are struggling. And listen to their story. Make eye contact. Ask them, what's it like to walk in your shoes? What are you facing? If you come with that sense of humility, only then will you have a chance to point them to other type of possibilities that God has for them. But come in humility just like Jesus. Jesus listened first. Jesus asked great questions. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to walk in the way of Jesus. It's not easy. It's not natural. But that's why we need his help. And remember that we live in a broken down world and all of us, all of us have been impacted. 
And so don't expect people who do not believe in God and, and believe in what God has said in his word to listen to you at all. If you can, first haven't dealt with yourself, but also don't come in a sense of humility and listening to them. Because there are more questions than answers, no doubt. As we can model humility by willing to engage the questions, I think then, then the, at least in my life, that's when people have said, tell me more, what do you believe? Why do you believe this? And is there any help for me? And even if someone says, I don't think I need help, but help me understand why you think I need help. That's a great place to be. And say, look, maybe there's something more to this. Maybe what you've been told is not exactly true. And challenge me, maybe what I've been told or maybe what your pastor Jeff said on May 22nd is not necessarily true. That's great, have that conversation. It's better to have the conversation for us as a church to seek to love like Jesus. Seek to love like Jesus. He loved with grace and truth. I love in John chapter one, it doesn't start with he lo- he, that he came full of truth and grace. I think that was intentional. The Holy Spirit said come with grace and truth. Don't leave either out, but start with grace. Because Jesus ultimately pointed people to God and he reminded everyone that they needed grace. They needed grace. So may God give us the grace to love like Jesus with both grace and truth as we seek to receive God's help with understanding sex and helping others along the way as they are willing to receive it from God. Let me give you one thing to remember, one thing to do as we finish and and then some questions for reflection and then the next step, like I said, we're gonna have multiple opportunities to continue this conversation as a church family. One thing to remember is this, God created sex and he provides help with understanding its, its created intent and purpose as we look to him for that understanding. Genesis, one thing to do this week, read Genesis 2, 18 through 25, slowly this week. And consider or reconsider how this can shape your understanding of the created intent and purpose of sex in light of this sermon. Some questions for reflection as you think about your life and next steps at this. What, going back to the beginning of this sermon, what was your initial experience with hearing or talking about sex and how did that shape your understanding? Think back over your life. It's highly impactful with where you are now. Number two, what can help you get from engaging, what help can you get from engaging God's help with understanding sex based on what's shared in Genesis 2, 18 through 25? And lastly, what could change as you let God shape your understanding of sex? So with that next step, you'll hear more about it in a moment at the end of the service too. Is one of our mission partners, Walt Mueller, from, from the Center for Parent and Youth Understanding is coming to lead a seminar Tuesday night. And yes, the seminar is entitled How to Talk to Your Teenagers About Sex and Sexuality, but it's really for everyone. Uh, no doubt, and also if you have young children, you can never start too early. Well, maybe a little too early, but, but, not, but if you're thinking they, we need to have the conversation on this year, back that up about four or five years. Back it up about four or five years. But really for all of us, it's an opportunity for us to engage, continue in this conversation and dialogue and that seminar is available to us this Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. in Parish Hall. It's a great next step out of this. Um, as always, I always invite you to reach out to me personally um, in terms of a meeting, cup of coffee, to talk deeper about this. Um, each of us has a story. and know that we've all been impacted by this, whether in our own lives and decisions we've made or decisions that other people have made. Know that there's God's grace for all of us. And there's deep compassion. He knows your story. Um, And I know today could open up some wounds. But may God come to those wounds and bring healing. And may this be the start of it. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, 
We ask for your grace today. We need your help. We need everything, God, from you. And so we look to you as we've heard this message, as we've considered your word. God, you are full of grace and truth. And so help us to hear both today. Help us to know what to do next. And help us to see as you want us to see, Lord, knowing that your loving eye is on us. And that love that we sang about before, that reckless love is pursuing us and pursuing everyone in this broken and hurting world. God, help us. Help our world. There's a lot of pain, a lot of confusion. Show us our role. and May it start with us. And may we be your agents of hope and grace in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>